Starting in the book of James, I ask for you to turn there with me in your copy of the scriptures. If you're not familiar uh, with the Bible, the book of James is towards the end of the Bible. Uh, you'll find uh, the book of uh, Revelation and the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the 1st and 2nd Peter. And then before that, you'll find the book of James. We're taking a break from our study in the book of Romans for several weeks here over the summer. And we're working through the book of James, and today we'll be in James chapter 2. If you'll read along with me, I'll be starting in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down on my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich one the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Last week, Pastor Gary taught through chapter 1, and his main point was that we should not just hear the word, but it should affect our actions. We should be doers of the word. Several weeks ago, uh, Dr. Victors came as a a guest, and he taught through the second half of James chapter 2. He also pointed out that there's this relationship between faith and works. Sandwiched right here in the middle of those two texts is our text for today. And James begins chapter 2 by saying, hey, as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, which I'm assuming would be most in this room And then he goes into this discussion about relationships. He says, hey, our faith in Christ directly relates to our relationship with others. And he gives us several examples of this, but his primary focus in this text is 
showing partiality or favoritism or giving preferential treatment to some at the neglect of others. And he starts this argument with an illustration there in verse 2. He says, hey, hey, think about if two people walk into our assembly, into our church gathering, and you see one and they have on this fancy suit and they've got the cufflinks and really nice tie. And you look at this person, you say, man, this person must be somebody special. You go to them, you give them a warm greeting. You say, hey, hey, come sit with me and my family on the front row. And then there's a poor person who walks in. Maybe they come in wearing some sweatpants and a T-shirt, and their hair looks real messy. And you say, hey, hey, hello, my name's Joshua. Hey, uh, we're about to get started. Uh, there's a seat over there if you want to go uh, sit. And look at what he says in, in verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If I, as I reflect on Oak Park, uh, try to think of some ways that this partiality might appear here in our weekly gathering. I think the truth of the matter is if someone showed up in a really fancy suit or a fancy dress, most here would probably give them some funny looks. Um, we certainly don't have a rich section in our worship gathering and a poor section. We don't have a black section and a white section. If I, as I talk to guests throughout the week, as we call them and follow up with them, most say that, hey, this is a very friendly church. This is the culture that many know here. And it starts with Miss Chris and her welcome team, people talking after the service being very friendly with each other, but as I began to think what this text might look like on a weekly basis here at Oak Park, I think one example of favoritism that may play out is that if a, a couple comes and they're in their 30s, look very well put together, got three beautiful children and all their kids come with big smiles on their faces, you Meet them, you say, hey, where are you from? Oh, you just moved here. Oh, you got to talk with them. You figure out that they uh, educate their children in the same way that you do. So you invite them out to lunch that day or maybe to your community group that evening. These are good things. But I wonder if a single person came in or an older person. I'm sure someone would bring them to the welcome desk Certainly, there would be people that say hello to them, nice to meet you. People are friendly. It is my guess that they would probably leave and not get quite as connected to the people here at Oak Park. And if this is true, have we not shown preference to the young family while overlooking the single person? Have we not made distinctions among ourselves? And there was just a single person who just left Oak Park recently. And whether it was intentional or, or even factual, they gave the reason for leaving that there's no place for middle-aged single people to get connected here at Oak Park. And I think about race. Uh, I did some research this week and looked at the most recent census. And it said that in, here in Jeffersonville, 25% of the people are non-white and so I ask you the question as you look around this room, 
is that accurately represented here in this place? It is said that the most segregated hour of the week in America is Sunday morning. I think about if someone visits from our neighborhood, they walk by a bunch of nice cars in the parking lot, and they walk into the building and they see people dressed different than them, they walk into this room and they know that they are different than most. They feel out of place. How will these people be treated? I'm not here to criticize someone for having blessings in their life, but these are things that we must be aware of. We must work hard to not show favoritism to those that are like us, and whether intentionally or unintentionally, overlooking those who are different. And James is telling us here in his book that genuine faith produces genuine love. And as we study the scriptures today, I pray that the Spirit will compel us to not just be a friendly church, but one that genuinely loves others in the way that Christ did. And as we look, we'll see several reasons from this text that we should love others in this way. The first thing is that when we love others, it reflects our God. And the negative of this is that Favoritism reflects the evil one. You'll see this there on the screen. Love, we love genuinely because it reflects our God. While we are looking outwardly, the scriptures show us that God sees things differently. Let's look here at uh, verse 5 through 7. It says, listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? God sees things differently. Is this not how things are in the kingdom of heaven? We read these statements such as, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Or, or the greatest among you will be the least. The world looks on the rich with great favor. But generally speaking, it is these rich who create problems for believers and reject Christ. The world looks down on the poor and they neglect them and push them to the side. But Christ said, blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's not that poverty earns us heaven but was it not the crippled on the side of the road who realized their state of helplessness and begged for Christ? Was it not the religious leaders who ran him out of town and hung him on a cross? Was it not Lazarus, the poor man at the rich man's gate, who was there with sores and, and begging for just a, a drop of food? Was he not the one that, that died and went to Abraham's feet? Was it not the rich man there in his fine clothes and lavish meals who was in hell begging for just a drop of water? And as we look around this room, we in our human eyes see some dressed in rich clothes and some in shabby clothes. But as God looks down and he sees this room, he sees things differently. He sees people's hearts. 
I'm reminded of the Old Testament story of Samuel the priest as he goes to choose a successor to King Saul. And he comes to the home of Jesse. He calls in the first son. He says, oh, this guy, it's a good-looking man right here. He says, surely this is the one that God will make our future king. God says, nope. And then they bring in the next son. God says, nope, not that one. Seven sons come before Samuel, and God, one after the other, says, no, no, no. And then God tells Samuel these words. He says, don't look at the physique, the height, the looks, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And then came in David, Jesse's youngest son, the one that the others considered insignificant. And God says, hey, that's the one that I will make into the greatest king my people have ever seen. The creator of the universe is not concerned with wealth or intellect or success or skin tone or a marital status or the number of children we have. His only concern is one's heart. As we look in the scriptures, we see in Galatians chapter 5 that the fruit of the devil is divisiveness and factions and selfish ambition. As we look around in the world, we see this starting at such an early age. Kids are bullied in school just because they wear glasses. Or you go to high school and you see a teenager sitting there all alone because they're different. We go into our workplaces, people are stepping on one another just to get ahead. This is the evil one's tool. We look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, we see a different picture of our God. It begins by declaring God's praises. It says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the resident alien, giving him food and clothing. This is our God, and may we be his people, not showing partiality, but having a heart for the things that he cares for. And as we interact with others, may God give us eyes to see people the way that he does. May we see each individual as created in the image of God and treat the disadvantaged with all the dignity and honor that goes along with that. The next reason that we see in this text is that we should love genuinely because it fulfills the law. The negative of this is that favoritism makes us hypocrites. He tells us there in verse 8, he says, all this talk about partiality and favoritism, you know what it boils down to? Us not loving our neighbor as ourself. You look in the scriptures and we see that the, the second half of the law is summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. 
things such as do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Someone may say, hey, I've never murdered. I've never cheated on my spouse. I don't steal things. I'm a good person. Look at verse 9. It says, no, not if you're judging others in your heart. Not if you're looking down on other people for their outward appearance or, or what they can selfishly do for you. You've broken the law of loving your neighbor as yourself. See, this is the problem when we make a bunch of lists of rules like the Ten Commandments. Is we can do things outwardly and think that we've achieved, but we can miss the whole point. This is not the conversation that Christ often had with the Pharisees. They would rise up and say, hey, I'm not blaspheming God's name. Hey, I'm keeping the Sabbath. One might say, hey, here, hey, I'm here every Sunday. But Christ says, hey, hey, that's good, but do you love God? Do you worship him with your emotions stirred? Throughout the week, are your thoughts reflecting on God? When one is not watching, is your life still living in obedience to the scriptures? And similarly, the Pharisees would say, hey, we don't murder, we don't steal, we're not in a bunch of sexual relationships. Christ would say, yeah, but do you love people? Christ said, hey, yeah, you don't murder, but when you're angry and you insult others, you've murdered someone in your heart. And James is picking up on the very same point of Christ, his brother, here in verse 11. He says, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. We may see some guest or, or some fellow church member, and we may smile at them and, and say hello. We may say hello to everyone in this room, but if we're looking at that person and we're thinking in our, our head, man, what is that person thinking? Or if we're driving at home and we're talking to our family, hey, did you see what that person was wearing today? Done, had created partiality in our hearts. Next week, we're going to look at this verse in James 3, 9. It says, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. And there is a word that the Bible uses to describe people who are outwardly right, but inwardly wicked, and that is hypocrite. And to the Pharisees who lived like this, what did Christ say? He said, woe to you hypocrites, for you give a tenth of everything you have and have neglected the weightier matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have given a tenth without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. He goes on to say, woe to you hypocrites, for you clean the things that people see, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. First, focus on your heart, then your behaviors will fall in line. And as people come here to Oak Park and visit, may they not leave calling us hypocrites, for this favoritism is sin. May they not say, hey, hey, you guys sing loudly, 
You, you preach the scriptures boldly. You give an offering generously, but you don't genuinely love people. May we not be the Pharisees standing on the outside, pointing our fingers at the tax collectors and the sinners, but may we be found sharing a meal with those that the world looks down on. For it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. And the final reason that James gives us to live in this manner is that when we love genuinely, it brings eternal life. And the negative of that is when we show favoritism, it brings eternal judgment. Look at this warning that he gives us there in verse 12 and 13. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And again, these words of James seem to mirror so closely the words of his half-brother Christ. When Christ was preaching and he was telling about the day of judgment that was coming when the Son of Man would sit on his throne and he would divide the sheep from the goats. Christ said these words in Matthew 25, starting in verse 34. He says, Then the king will say to those who are on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them, Truly I say to you, as you did to the one of the least of these brothers or sisters, you did it unto me. And to those that did not look after their brothers or sisters, he separated them off and sent them off to eternal punishment. I'm not here before you saying that our acts save us, that we need to just go volunteer at a homeless shelter or love those who are in jail and we will go to heaven. The scriptures tell us you are saved by grace through faith. This is not a result of works so that no man can boast. But the scriptures also make it very clear that the fruit of our faith is our works. And here in James, he tells us that our works specifically are our love for others. We see this again in the book of 1 John chapter 4 that also shows us this relationship between faith and love. John, Christ's best friend, says this, verse 7 and 8, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. He goes on to say in verse 20 and through 21, he says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. 
For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. And I say to you, O Park, again, genuine faith produces genuine love. This is not just an isolated argument of James. This we find all over the scriptures. And as we look at these different texts that I just read to you, I don't know if you picked up on a on a or not. There in 1 John chapter 4, it says, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Matthew 25 says, Whatever you did for, the one, of the, for the, one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Here in James chapter 2, look at verse 15 and 16. It says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? He tells us over and over that we are commanded first and foremost to care for our brothers and sisters. And sure, we have a call to care for all of our neighbors in need. This is why we partner with the Louisville Rescue Mission. This is why we partner with Choices. That's why we send teams into the jail to tell others about Christ and show, him, show them his love. But we have a particular call in the scriptures to love and to look after the brothers and sisters in faith among us. Someone among us, their car breaks down. Someone has to flee from domestic violence. There's a, a death in the family. We as the church should be more than ready to help our brothers and sisters here and share whatever they have need. Thinking back to James chapter 1, verse 27, we should be eager to visit the widows among us in their distress. Think about some of the sisters that I, I see here with us this morning, Miss Dorothy, Miss Catherine, Miss Ruth, Miss BJ. We should be eager to invite them to our community groups, eager to go over on a Saturday and fix their fences to call them throughout the week. Think about those of us who are involved in the children and student ministries of Oak Park. And there are so many orphans among us that are in distress. I'm sure many of these have a grandma looking after them, maybe a single mom who's struggling to get by, maybe a dad who's on drugs. So many of these children who come on Wednesday night are, are practically orphans. We should be eager to serve and give them a, a safe environment where they can just be kids. We should be eager to open our home to them and share a meal with them each week. We should be eager to invite them into our homes to stay the night with our children so that we can model to them what it looks like to have a mom and a dad who love one another and love Christ. Christ said, whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done for him. Man, there, there are many examples of people doing this among us. 
people sharing their vehicles, people inviting people into their home, people going through a long process of certification to be foster families, people going out throughout the week, visiting in the uh, different nursing homes and the shut-ins. May we see more people among us adding chairs to their kitchen tables so that they can share meals with brothers and sisters who are alone. May we see more people cleaning out their spare rooms so that they can take in someone in need. May we see more people joining up with David Lewis Jr. and the shut-in ministry, coming here on Wednesday night, being a part of the children's ministries. May we see more people privately coming to the pastor saying, hey, I just got a recent blessing. I want to help out someone else in need. Is there anyone that you know is really use a blessing right now? As we bring all of this together, let's, let us think about the fruit of our faith. And let's see what a picture of what genuine faith resulting in genuine love looks like within the church. Let us look together at Acts chapter 2. And here we, we see the early church and Peter stands up and he preaches in the city streets. He preaches Christ crucified and raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. And here the spirit moves in a mighty way and lives are changed. And what is the outcome of this? Look there at chapter 2 verse 43. And it said, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God, and having favor with all people. Look at all the, the unity that was taking place. The people were of one mind together in the temple. They were sharing their meals together, and they were sharing their stuff. They had genuine love for all people. They were caring for those in need. When preaching of Christ meets radical love, look at the result the end there, 47, it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. When we as the church act in this manner, it is something that is attractive to the world because that's not how the world acts out there. And if you are one who comes here today and you're feeling this, feeling neglected, May you know that you are not alone. Because right after this picture in Acts chapter 2, the devil started to break up this unity. We see in Acts chapter 5 the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They were selfish and greedy with their possessions. We looked at uh, Acts chapter 6, and the pastors got a complaint from some of the widows that when they were distributing food, caring for the widows, that some from this background were being neglected while some from this background were being shown favoritism. 
We see very shortly after this the controversy over those pagan Gentiles being allowed into the church. And if you come here today and your experience with church in the past has been those that are labeled as hypocrites, maybe it's someone who it was in a church that you grew up in, maybe it's someone here in this church here at Oak Park, maybe it's my own partiality that I have shown to you. May you know that this is not how the church is supposed to be. If it's something that I've done personally to neglect you, show favoritism to others, I apologize. If you've been hurt here at Oak Park in this manner, I apologize on behalf of the leaders. As we think about these widows, I ask the widows who spoke up, I ask that some of you who have felt this way, that you will have the courage to also speak up and to share with someone your hurt, that change might be able to take place here. And I tell you that regardless of what individuals within the church have done, this is not the character of our God. And this is not the law that he has called his people to live by. And there will come a day when he will bring justice to those in the church who have hurt you. And I ask that you rest in Christ despite the actions of his followers who tend to so often screw it up. And may you know that we here at Oak Park are all the sick who are in need of a doctor. And may you give us a shot here at Oak Park to be different. And I call on you, church, to reflect on your own prejudice and your own favoritism. Whether it's something intentional or not, something that, that was modeled to you as a child and still lingers in your mind, I ask you to pray and ask God to show you where you fall short. May you repent where needed. May you take steps to make it right. May we seek diversity of age and race and wealth and background here weekly in our worship services. May we seek this diversity in our community groups. May we seek this diversity at our kitchen tables as we share meals with others, knowing that in Christ there is not Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. May this kind of love be the evidence of our faith. And as a result of the preaching of Christ and genuine love of the people, may God bless this place. And may the world and the community around us see this as an attractive place. And may the Lord add to our numbers daily those who are being saved. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, may we do so without partiality or favoritism. God, may our, our faith in Christ and our great love prove to the watching world that you are real and that this place is different. 
God, give us hearts to not look on, on people for their outward appearance, but to see people's hearts. God, stir us within to look after the orphans and the widows and the resident aliens and their distress. And God, help us by the power of your spirit and the preaching of your word to be changed from the inside out. And as we do this, we long for the day when you will tell us, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God, make us different from the world. May we honor you. May we reflect you. May we obey your law. God, give us eternal life as a result. Amen.